Dominic Newton joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. Bowens is out. Ivory and Williams are in. We'll discuss Bud Elliott's blue chip ratio and what that means for the Gators to wrap things up. Will, how's, how's things going, man? It's going all right, man. We got the magazine going and finally starting to slow down a little bit. So hopefully have some stuff up on the site this week. That'll be kind of fun to get back to the normal the normal cadence of writing. The The magazine has interrupted that significantly, more <laughs> than I intended it to. But uh, But it'll be nice to get back to that and get some stuff up there on the site. Four kids, full-time job, wrote a magazine, go out, do, do Gators Breakdown, do this show. You're lazy, Will. You're yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what my wife tells me. So, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, like that, that's her feedback. So, <laughs> All right. I, I, I'll admit I'm dragging my feet a little bit, jumping in this first topic. Will, Chauncey Bowens ends up flipping to the Georgia Bulldogs, of course, that running back. Uh, down from South Florida, uh, has been with the Gators for quite some time now. I believe he committed last fall at some point, Will. But, hey, this was a guy that Napier identified early on. Uh, he's about six foot, approximately 220, 225 uh, type running back. So strong, physical back, type of back we see at Georgia a lot. So it's, it's a wonder that Kirby Smart liked the guy because – he looks like a lot of those running backs we've seen out of Athens, but ends up flipping to the dogs this weekend. And, Will, it's it's the same trend here. Georgia's coming down into our state and kind of taking who they want. And this one actually took away from us. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, look, it's it's not a secret. Georgia, I mean, hell, you had a whole section in the magazine talking about Georgia coming down and sort of picking the the folks they wanted out of the state of Florida, and this is just a continuation of that. And, you know, look, North Palm Beach, Florida should be a place where Florida's battling Miami, not where a place Florida is battling Georgia. And until Napier and until Florida can push Georgia out of the state, it's going to be tough going. I mean, that's just the reality. Now, I think overall, you look at a guy like Bowens, running back is one of the least important positions really on the field. Mm-hmm. You can find diamonds in the rough later in, you know, lower ranked, just like you can in the NFL. There's a reason why running backs don't go in the first round in the NFL. It's because they're injury prone. It's because they're not really worth the money that you have to give them that high up. So, um, from the standpoint of like valuation and those sorts of things, right? If Georgia came in and just made him an offer he couldn't refuse, the optics look bad. But there is a point with where with a running back, you might say, you know what, our resources are better allocated elsewhere. And so, if Florida comes up with a huge with a huge commit at left tackle, and then obviously they've already got the commit at uh, at quarterback in this 2024 class, then I think you walk out of it saying resources allocated properly. And that's the thing, right? Is that I know Kirby Smart feels great coming to the state of Florida, flipping a guy who's on Florida's roster. The question becomes one of resource allocation, and everybody has limited resources. I don't care who you are. And at some point, you got to decide, am I going to put it here or am I going to put it here? And so, um, you know, if that's what this came down to, then Georgia wins this battle. The question is, what do you do the next one? Because you're not going to win every battle against Georgia and Kirby Smart. You're just going to lose some. It's the same thing. Nick Saban doesn't win every battle against Kirby Smart. He loses some of them. The question is, can you win just as many so that your class is as impressive as his class at the end of the day? As of right now, the class that Florida has is pretty strong, but Georgia has a really strong class too. And so Florida is going to have to start piling on those guys in the next two, three months to to get to that level and it's and look the jury's still out on whether napier can do that this doesn't make me more confident that he can do it 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 probably makes me a little bit less confident that he can do it but anybody saying the sky is falling at this point one commit rated you know 200 and second overall by 24 7 sports composite that doesn't make or break a class in fact once you get to a point where the class is almost complete a guy who's ranked 200 barely moves the needle at all because these guys are about 20 to 25% turn out to be NFL guys. You get to those guys who are ranked, you know, 15th, 30th, 45. Those are the guys who really start to make it. So if you'd have told me that they flipped the Darius Hayes, I'd be much more ticked off than Chauncey Bowens for two reasons. One, Florida hasn't had good linebacker play in what seems like a decade. And two, I do think running back is a little bit more fungible position, but look, anybody trying to spin this as a win is, is spinning it in a way that uh, is, is not, consistent with reality, but anybody saying that this is proof that Billy Napier isn't going to be able to put together a huge 2024 class, I think that's also going outside of the bounds as well. I think there's two things can be true at once, right? This can be a bad thing, but it can't mean that the entire thing is falling apart. And we just need to remember both of those things at once. 
I, I tweeted something along the lines of this this weekend where I really trust Napier and his staff with their ability to identify great running backs because we've seen that going back into his Louisiana days as really just a consistent piece of his offense. Not just one, but a deep running back room. Currently has a deep running back room in Gainesville that was built by his staff. He's not he's not carrying over from the previous staff. He built that running back room. So I really trust the ability to identify and bring in talented runners because they will be featured in this offense. So there's a huge incentive to play running back in Gainesville. I, I agree with your point too about this being, hey, this is a different conversation if we're talking about a five-star quarterback flip it. Much different conversation right now. But running back, you do have a little more room for error at that position. That being said, you're still letting them come into the backyard and take away a talented player that you wanted on your roster. That is not a way to catch Georgia. That That's not going to catch them, Will. Now, resource allocation, I do want to get in a deeper uh, part conversation on that when we get to the uh, offensive line commit here. However, for that particular notion, Will, if we keep losing guys to Georgia, especially head-to-head like this, it's going to be hard to close that gap, isn't it? Well, I mean, we've been saying that for for years. I, I think you said that you trust Napier. I'm in the, what is it, Ronald Reagan, trust but verify segment, where we he's had a couple of years he has not delivered the classes that we expected him to deliver. Particularly I, I said trust him year. with the running back position, just to be clear. <clears throat> well, he, he so, has delivered great running backs throughout well, his Well, the other thing is if he's that. an awesome running back evaluator, then Kirby Smart just got an awesome running back, right? So, 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 that, so that is maybe the downside <laughs> That's there. That's what I'm saying. We still lost the guy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, it's no secret, right, that you that they're going to have to catch Georgia. We all know this. You can't let them come down to the state of Florida and raid your cabinet for guys. But again, I think recruiting it can be um, can be very um, so. How do I say this? It can be very reactionary, right? One guy decommits, one guy flips. Oh my God, this guy is falling, and I don't think that's necessary. I think you look at the entire class as a whole. And you look at it in really August or September, and then you look at it at early signing day at this point, because basically everything's done by December, by early signing day. Those two points are the points where you evaluate and you look at a class overall. So even with Jaden Rashada in last year's class, that class wasn't good enough to compete for national championships. It just wasn't. And so Rashada leaves and that's like a black mark, but Rashada leaving doesn't make that, doesn't make or break that class. There was a lot of other stuff in there that made her, you know, that, that made or broke that class. And I think the same thing's going to be true for 2024. Like Chauncey Bowens isn't going to make or break this 2024 class. What will make or break this 2024 class is whether Kirby Smart collects four or five-star guys from the state of Florida and brings them up with Chauncey Bowens. And so if this is part of a broader trend of continuing of guys in Florida migrating up to Athens, then yeah, it's a huge problem. But if this is just, hey, Kirby Smart decided he was going to go after this running back, Billy Napier decided he would rather go after a few other guys as opposed to this particular player, then fine, right? I mean, again, so I think it's, It comes down to every time a guy decommits, we talk in the media, this makes sense, right? You start coming up with narratives and the narrative thus far has been Kirby is eating Napier's lunch. But I think when you look at the 2024 class specifically, that's not necessarily true. And we just need to get to a point where we holistically can look at both classes and say, where do we stand? And and the other thing is, is again, you did a great job in the magazine of looking at maps of where Georgia was coming into the state. And I don't know that you're just going to be able to put up a moat and say Georgia's never going to come down here and get a player. No, they're getting their guys. The, they're going to get so, their guys. Well, uh, but, but the question is, so let's say they got eight guys who are in the top 100 from Florida. I can't remember what it was. Let's it was, say they got eight guys. It was just from, nine total, but I'm sure right, they were in the top 100. So let's say they get nine, nine guys from the state of Florida who yeah, are look. top 20 guys in the state of Florida. In right? the 23 class, yeah. So what's a reasonable thing to ask for Napier to do? Is it to take three of those nine? Does he need to take right. six of those nine? Does he need to take nine of those nine? But that's so the Bowen, conversation. That's the conversation. Can we cut into that? They're going to get something out of Florida, mm-hmm. just like we get a few players out of Georgia. So I'm not trying to create the conversation. Is not trying to create an unrealistic expectation to say Georgia's going to get shut out of Florida. That's never happened. Even when Florida was on top and Georgia was chasing, Georgia still got plenty of guys out of Florida. But are they going to pick and choose? 
the top are they get they're basically not only coming in but they're getting the first traffics too they're taking who they want and then they're getting out so well that's sort of my that's sort of my make point those is, battles that's that well that's we that's sort of my point right is that you're gonna have battles you're gonna win some you're gonna lose some the right. problem over the last five six seven years is florida has lost just about every one of right. those we're just right? missing so, the win some portion so, but but, the, the, but well but the, well yeah. so th this is my question though right is you lost bowens and it was a flip so there's some optics issues and stuff like that right but you lost bowens but if you get three other guys in the next two months that Georgia wanted to, we all go, oh, he got 75% of the people from the state of Florida that he wanted. That's good compared to what it has been. If Kirby comes down and gets all three of those guys and you go, all right, four guys who, who were deciding between the two decided to go to Georgia. So the narrative is set from the last couple of years, but I don't think that you can set that narrative for the 2024 class yet. And so I think we just have to be patient, right? You got to sit there and wait and see where things lie when the smoke clears and then do an evaluation. But to, but to freak out when one guy from the state of Florida decides to go to Georgia just means there's one data point last year, there were nine. And so is it going to be nine this year? Is it going to be 12 this year who go to Georgia? Is it going to be six? Is it going to be the best five players in the state? Like, so we need to go take a look at what happened last year versus what happened this year and say, are we moving in the right direction? because this isn't look billy napier is not urban meyer he's not coming in shutting everything down and absolutely just owning recruiting in the state he isn't doing that and i would love it if he did do that but he's not doing that so now we got to sit here and say okay what's a reasonable thing to see and this isn't me defending napier i still think he needs to win more of these battles but it is saying that you can't criticize him for losing one battle if he's going to win the next six but we got to see him win the next six. And that's just sort of the thing, the thing we got to be on the lookout for as we head towards the August, September deadline, where we really start seeing where these classes are going to end up. So I'm, I'm with you on the patience side of things. We have to be patient. On the other hand, the mission is to catch Georgia and you could take one step forward or one step back. And yes, it's only one step. That's the point here. That's the overarching message you're saying. It is only one step, but we just did take one step back by losing that bout. Not, not only that, you almost took two steps back because we had the guy in our camp and he left our camp to go to their camp. So it wasn't like he was neutral and he went to their camp. It was, it was he went all the way to their camp. So well, that's, that, that's an that's a, that's two a, points on the board there. But, but that's, an accurate, that. that's an accurate two because, because he was well, never in our camp. The, the fact that he was in our camp, he never signed a letter of intent. He never came on campus. It like, you know, I he think was... I heard a stat the other day, though, that 90%, approximately 90% of guys who verbally commit end up at the school they verbally commit to. So the whole, yeah. the whole thing, a couple guys flip here and there, but it's not a vast majority of the guys who actually verbally commit that flip. So this well, is, I, I do think that is a big deal that Georgia got one of ours. Uh, and I do look at sure. this one of ours because he was a verbal commit for. Well, look, I mean, Georgia's got Ellis what, Robinson for my. Uh, Georgia's got Ellis Robinson from IMGs, the fifth overall player in the country. They got Jalen How Hayward from Rockledge, a safety. He's the 52nd overall Florida. player in the country. That's in Florida. From Florida. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you go down to Chauncey Bowens and then Natarian Tuggle, who's a wide receiver, is ranked 224 out of Bradenton out of IMG. So if you take out the two IMG guys, there's two guys from the state of Florida who've gone to Georgia. Now I'm assuming in those nine you saw you you included the IMG guys, right? Yeah, and, and from the yeah. twenty. So just, just so everyone knows, we're talking about the twenty with the nine Florida players. We're talking about the twenty twenty three class. Yeah. So that's so he's at four, four out of eighteen right now. I thought he had the, five. I thought I counted. Well, five. there might be one lower. I didn't. I didn't get below yeah, two twenty. It's a tight end. Um, uh, Colton Heinrich from uh, Cardinal Gibbons in Fort Lauderdale yeah. at 644, which let's be honest, if uh, if Billy Napier brought in a tight end at 644, everybody would be complaining about the three-star that he brought in. So, so look, I am not going to be an apologist for Billy Napier's recruiting, though that's what this sounds like right now. All I'm saying is don't freak out about one recruit. Recruiting is not about one recruit. Recruiting is about the entire class. And so when you look at the entire class right now, Georgia's recruiting class is number one overall in the country, both. Uh, and it's really close from a average player perspective, but they got three, five stars, 10, four stars and four, three stars um, on, on the roster. That's going to be a damn good class. And for Florida to catch them is going to require Billy Napier to really get some wins. And whether those guys come from West Palm beach or, or California, I don't really care as long as it gets him to where he needs to go from the standpoint of, of getting up into that one, two, three, four slot in the recruiting overall. Um, 
Napier has done has gotten this class off to a much better start than he did last year, but I've been consistent in saying he needs to finish it off. And so losing Bowens is a problem from the standpoint of you needed to finish it off, and now you got to go regain that person you already had committed in the fold. But it's one player, and I'm not going to freak out about one player unless that one player is like Jeremiah Smith, right? If it's a wide receiver, if like if we flip him from Ohio State to Florida. I don't care what happened to Chauncey Bowens. <laughs> like, and 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 I think I said this last week, either on here or on on uh, Gators Breakdown. So, if you look at the Urban Meyer bump class, where he had Brandon Spikes, Percy Harvin, and Tim Tebow, I think there were like fifteen All SEC seasons out of that bump class, and eleven of them came from those three guys. So, if you get DJ Lagway, Miles Grammer, Darius Hayes, and Jeremiah Smith in the fold, and they can do the same type of thing that Tebow, Harvin, and and Spikes did, you're going to have an awesome team, irrespective right. of filling in the gaps everywhere else, and so. Could Chauncey Bones have been a part of that awesome team filling in the surroundings of those elite guys? Absolutely. But look, Billy Napier's class last year was not, there was not a shortage of guys ranked 202. There was a shortage of guys ranked two. <laughs> and that's and that's how we're going to judge him or how we should judge him in terms of the overall quality of this class. And if those guys are from Louisiana or Texas or Florida or Georgia or North Carolina, I don't really care. He needs guys ranked second, 10th, 15th, 22nd. And if you do that, no one's going to care that Chauncey Bones went to Georgia. If Georgia has all those guys ranked second, sixth, 12th, 15th, then the narrative starts to take hold that you can't hold guys in the state when a guy like Bones goes to Georgia. It's emblematic of a, a a bigger problem that needs to be solved. That's the issue. It's I agree with you. It's not freak out worthy. The running back position is pretty solid under Napier. It's not freak out worthy from that standpoint. But it is emblematic of the fact that Georgia comes down here and takes who they want. It is. It is a continue. It is a continuation of the last decade. It is a continuation of the last decade. But you can't say. But you can't say that he hasn't fixed the problem this year. Because you don't know, because we don't have classes to compare. So to look at an incomplete 2024 class, class yeah. it's not a full class. No, but we're talking about it in the moment. We're having a conversation in the moment. Obviously, we got to get to the finish line. But why? So why aren't we talking about TJ Moore right now, from going from out of Tampa to up to Clemson? We're not talking about him because he didn't go to Georgia. He wasn't in our. Because you didn't send me that as a list of topics. <laughs> I'd, mu- I'd much, I'd because much rather make talk- up all the topics. <laughs> there we go. And then we I'd much. That's I'd much rather too. talk. I'd much rather talk about the wide receiver, who's a position we really freaking need, than than, than I, the running I, back, which is kind of a not a superfluous position, but a position where I think we feel pretty comfortable. But he's going to Clemson. That's going to be less of an issue for us. It's still going out of our state, but the, we're trying to chase Georgia. That's oh, the we just won't have to deal with it. When, when Chauncey Bones scores a touchdown, it'll be excruciating for everybody, myself included, because I'll be like, oh, he could have been a Florida commit. Though, you know, again, that that's the thing is go flip their guys. Like, you know, the, the reality is, is that if you want to change this narrative, you can go change it. And the way you change it is you keep the guys in your state and you go into places right around Athens and you bring those guys down to Gainesville. And that's going to take some stuff. That's going to take some salesmanship. That's going to take some um, some pressuring guys to commit. That's going to take some money. And that's going to take a lot of different things. But the reality is, is you are getting paid $7 million to champion a program in the SEC that that fancies itself to be on Georgia and Alabama's level. Time to go prove it. And, you know, Bowens is one point in the downside there. Now go get three or four in the upside. And until you get those three or four in the upside, this narrative is going to continue. I just, you know, again, I'm sitting here going, did I think that Napier was going to keep um, Kirby Smart out of the state completely this year? No, I didn't. And so when we don't keep him out of the state, it, it doesn't change my opinion on things. It doesn't on, make it any better, but you're it doesn't, going doesn't to an change. extreme when you say that. I'm not talking about keeping him out of the state entirely. I'm talking about not not let him come in here take nine top players out like can you cut it to like a five four ratio well but like we you, should you, be winning some of those battles no and Nick, like Nick, you can't have it both that. ways you can't have it both ways you can't go i don't want him taking nine guys in here and then go well but he took this one i'm like yeah he took that one when it's nine i will agree with you when it's nine two years in a it's row five I'll right say, now yeah it's five it right sucks. now so that just went from four to five so it is five mm. right now so there you go it, and it, like you said it's an incomplete Class. So we're talking about this in, in the middle state of the class at the moment. Yeah, look, so. don't, don't, don't get so emotional, buddy. Like don't, don't freak out. Napier's either going to do Georgia. it or he's not. He's gonna, either going to do it or he's not. Right. 
And I mean, I'm more worried about them getting a three-peat than I am about them getting Chauncey Bones on their roster because he's not going to help them get the three-peat. What we need, what we need is for Brock Vandergriff or Carson Beck to like completely fall flat on their face in, in the first couple think, games of the year and give I've, us a loss. I don't think I've freaked out at all here. I think I'm talking about the, the mission is to catch Georgia, and that is not one way to get the mission done. That's what I'm talking about right now. So anyway, this is uh, – I think we've exhausted this topic. We can move on to some actual good news here. Uh, let's talk about Quincy Ivory. 6-2 uh, edge at sitting at uh, 255 pounds out of East Los Angeles College, uh, originally from out of Texas. Well, this was uh, a guy coming out of the JUCO division here, not on a lot of people's radars right here, but we found something interesting when we were reading through his profile uh, before the show here. We were talking, we were discussing a little bit before the show, but when we found some interesting uh, notes on him during our research. Yeah, well, I mean, he was a quarterback coming out of high school and a much, much smaller guy. So depending upon where you go, I think uh, 24-7 had him at 6'2", 195 coming out of high school, and then Max Preps had him at 6'4", 215. So irrespective of which one he actually was, and these things are not always incredibly accurate, he's now listed at 6'5", 255. Right. So on the conservative <laughs> side, he's put on 40 pounds, which you, were, you and I were joking that we had no problem putting on 40 pounds when we went to college. <laughs> Our freshman year, but I bet you Quincy Ivory looks a little bit different than we did after the after that forty pounds went on yeah. during the freshman year. I, look, I mean, so Antoine Power Island decides to leave the program. Um, you know, Billy Napier was already talking about needing help at edge specifically. They don't have enough scholarship players. Like they have not filled out their scholarship quota. They haven't gotten up to 85. So Ivory helps them get to that point. Um, you take a flyer on a guy who's athletic, didn't have any offers until he came in and worked out for Florida. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, yeah, like we'll give this guy an offer. So they're taking a flyer on a guy, but he's not taking this. This is the thing is that you've got constraints when you recruit and your constraints are the number of scholarships you have, the number of counters that you have. Now the, the counters, that's why you can sign 25 guys a year and only have 85 scholarships, right? You, sort of bleed guys off on the back end so really the constraint if you're not filling out your scholarships the constraint is not the counters the constraint is the number of scholarships so if you have extra scholarships available and you want to take a flyer on a guy hey this is a good time to do it if you don't have anybody else lined up in the transfer portal who's going to come in and, and contribute Matt, um, that, that's a good point there too because I, I didn't mention this on the front end. i should have mentioned this but he's actually a part of this cl in class of 2023 not 24 so he'll be playing this fall He'll yeah, he's gonna he's gonna fall. come in. Defensive end or edge is not a position that you anticipate is going to need a whole lot of uh, a seasoning, right? You're gonna put him out there and go get the quarterback, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's gonna sort of be the especially with with Armstrong at defensive coordinator. That's going to be his assignment. I don't anticipate him dropping into coverage that often to cover wide receivers and tight ends and stuff like that. So they're gonna put him out there probably as a third down guy to start with. This is another body up front to make sure that you're not getting you're not getting winded. You you and I talked in the magazine, you talked, we've talked multiple times that Prince Lee Milan is probably the key to the defense overall, that if he can get, you know, seven, eight, nine sacks, well, all of a sudden that's going to let some pressure come up the bit, come up the middle, um, you know, from, uh, from uh, Jackson or Banks or McClellan or Watson or, or any of those guys, the problem is going to be those defensive linemen, by the time the fourth quarter comes around, are going to be tired. And mm -hmm. so a guy like I, excuse me, a guy like Ivory is going to hopefully be able to come in, rotate, do some third down pass rushing. And if he can get to the quarterback and he's got the bend to get around that tackle and can get to the quarterback contribute, even if it's three, four or five sacks, I think the question is, can he give them 20 snaps a game, 25 snaps a game and allow human Milan and Boone, Justice Boone and, and Pyburn. And then the, the new guys, Searcy and Collins, can he allow those guys to either integrate their way in slowly or not have to play 70 snaps? I mean, we saw it against Florida state, right? Those guys were gassed by the time the end of the game came around chasing after Jordan Travis. And it wasn't that they weren't getting there. It was that once they got there, they couldn't bring him down. And then after, you know, that sort of one play led to the next, led to the next, led to the next. And there were multiple opportunities for them to get off the field last year against Florida State and they just couldn't do it. There were multiple times that happened last year where third down, they just couldn't get to the quarterback, couldn't get any push and by the time the third and fourth quarter came around there was no gas on the defensive line. So I think Ivory brings that. I think anticipating more than like a three or four sack season is probably anticipating way too much, but he's, you know, one of the things that Billy Napier's done is he has loaded this, this entire team with freshmen and sophomores and so bringing a guy who's a JUCO transfer class of 2020 means he's sort of on that experience side, which means 
all the young guys he's going to bring in next year and the year after aren't going to be competing with Quincy Ivory for playing time. He's going to come in, contribute right away, hopefully. And then, you know, he'll be off to wherever he goes afterwards, hopefully the NFL, and there will be spots for those younger guys to, to, to come in and take. Yeah, certainly an interesting profile. When you put on that much weight within a couple of years, you have to think uh, there's some good uh, athleticism there coming off the edge in Quincy Ivory. Let's move on to another commitment we received. Actually, I, I believe this just went off today. We're recording this on Monday night, a three-star offensive tackle out of Maryland, Mike Williams. Uh, when I flipped on his highlight tape, my a first immediate thought, well, first off, he's the first offensive lineman in this class of 2024. So he will be a class of 2024 guy. Uh, first offensive lineman officially committed. And my first thought when I saw the tape, tape is, uh, man, they have a type. They certainly have a type that they like, don't they? I mean, he looks a lot like Cameron Waits, doesn't he? <laughs> Up front, they have a they want that size. You can't teach size. You hear that all the time. Uh, I don't know if you've been following that story with that that baby Gronk kid where his dad's been DMing all his media personalities and he got blasted for it this week after that athletic article. I believe Ari Wasserman for the athletic wrote the article. And uh if for those of you that don't follow this dad takes his kid around the country and pretends like he's this big time recruit. He's like a 12 year old kid. And they have these like scripted things. He does all the photo shoots like the recruits do. Uh, it's, it's a goofy thing. But uh, one of the things that Jim, Jim Nagy chimed in, he's the director of the senior bowl. And he's a longtime man, former NFL scout director of the senior bowl. And he chimed in saying, it doesn't matter because the article is all about how the dad's really training this kid. You know, he was a big time. The dad was a big time high school football player, blew his knee out. He, he compared himself to Booby Miles from Friday Night Lights. And basically, Jim Nagy chimed in and said, you can train your kid all you want. But at the end of the day, he told I, I believe he used this story of uh, Ziggy Ansa, who came uh, who came to this country, had never played football. And uh, three years later, he's a first round NFL draft pick. He has a certain body type. He can run a certain way, and he can make certain plays. And really, he said football's the type of game where we're looking for physical attributes first and foremost. You can learn it all you want. If you don't have that size and speed, it's not going to matter at the end of the day. So this is something I wanted to talk about when it comes to the offensive line because we've seen this as a trend in the Napier era where the offensive line is not necessarily, you're not in the hunt. I know we were in the hunt for Okanola at one point, Malagoa last year was in the hunt, but other than that, Napier and company seem uh, content to make the offensive line a real development position, which seems smart because you got the two coaches running it there. And also talk about a great track record with the running back room. They also have a great track record of developing offensive linemen and identifying them early. So will, with this type of thing, when we're talking about resource allocation, do you look at this, even though there's no salary cap necessarily here in college sports, but there certainly is some kind of limit to spending on what you're able to spend. Do you look at this as a strategic move from the staff that for fans who might be underwhelmed with this type of prospect, do you look at this as a strategic move where they go, we look for the traits, we know what to look for, we know what we can develop and work with and turn into something and we're going to put the investments in like a DJ Lagway or, you know, chase a Jeremiah Smith or something like that. Chauncey Bowens. Um, or Chauncey Bowens. <laughs> so Get me going I think, on that again, man. <laughs> so I, I think it all, it all comes down to expectations, right? If we expect Mike Williams to come in and be a starting left tackle as a true freshman next year, I think you're probably, um, you're probably misguided, right? This is somebody who's a developmental prospect and is going to have to come in and outperform his recruiting ranking. Now, that being said, I would say three-star offensive linemen are probably the most apt to outperform their recruiting rankings for two reasons. One, is that oftentimes the tackles will slide inside to guard and they're better guards than they are tackles. And so they find a way to then make their way into the NFL or make their way into being all SEC type players because they didn't necessarily have the foot speed to be the tackle, but they had the size to be a guard and they're able to slide inside. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that um, offensive line is just more difficult to sort of identify those sorts of skills. And so I'm sure, yes, they have a type. They're going after these big guys. But I also, and this is something I haven't really looked into, I, I am curious what their hit rate is. Like you you hear about a guy like Osiris Torrance and go, oh, mm -hmm. he, was a two, he was a three-star guy. And look at that. He's an all-SEC right. player and an all-American. Who are the like, four okay, you never heard of? <laughs> right. So how many guys did they bring in? Because I'm guessing right. all they did was sign three-star offensive linemen when they were at Louisiana. So 
is their hit rate, you know, 15%, which is kind of what we think it should be. Or is the hit rate 45% where you go, wow, like they're really hitting on these offensive linemen more often than they should. I think, look, I've said this, I've made this analogy a ton of times. Draymond Green is the reason that the Warrior, or one of the reasons why the Warriors have won four championships. And he's an integral part to what they do. But Steph Curry is the thing that's necessary in order to make Draymond Green valuable. Mm -hmm. And so a guy like Williams at offensive tackle, a developmental prospect, is valuable from the standpoint of if he becomes a contributor like Draymond Green from a second round draft pick, you didn't have to. And this sort of goes to what you were saying is you didn't have to allocate a ton of capital to get that guy into the fold. But I still think that recruiting is a zero sum game where you sit there and say what you want to do is stack guys. And so you don't want – I mean, I would love to have four offensive linemen in the top 50 of, of the national rankings, but the reality is, is you're going to struggle to do that because those guys are all going to be competing with each other, and one of those guys is going to leave when he doesn't win the job, right? And so instead of doing it that way, if you stack things – so like last year's offensive line class was awesome if Oakland Lola had committed because you had guys like Nijay Harris and you had guys like Roderick Kearney and you take those two guys along with a couple of guys who were lower. I think Caden Jones is like in the 600s. You take Jones and Kearney and, and, um, and Harris, and then you put Oakland Lola in there. That's an awesome class. So a lot of the way I think you evaluate this class with a guy like Mike Williams is who is in front of him. Who's he competing with? And then if Williams ends up beating at a guy who's a much higher profile, good but you need that competition you need to stack those guys to make sure that when Williams wins he's not just winning because there's nobody in front of him he's winning because he beat out somebody who's more physically gifted than he was or just was just was higher ranked maybe not more physically gifted just higher ranked there's only so many bodies that are that big and that fast that can move their feet the way that they want the offensive line to. there's only so many bodies across the country that look like that well so I understand if Napier and uh sale and uh, Stapleton have a specific model that they're looking for out there. And when they find it, they don't really, I mean, they don't really care what the ratings are on the guy. They're going to do their own evaluation and go get them. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think, I think the reality is, is that you're going to take flyers on people from time to time. You can't take flyers on everybody. Like you're going to have to have a, like when you look at Alabama's recruiting, they may hit on a three-star guy every once in a while. And all that does is slide him in in front of a four-star and a five-star. And then that guy's surrounded by four and five stars everywhere else. Right. And so like Mac Jones, a couple of years ago at quarterback comes in and plays awesome. And, you know, they had other options there other than Mac Jones from a recruiting perspective, but Jones was the best player. That's fine. Alabama wins a national championship with Mac, with Mac Jones, a quarterback, has probably the best offense in the country. But if you don't think it helped for him to be throwing the ball to Devontae Smith and and you know all those guys that that Alabama had there at wide receiver, then or and you know all the Najee five star offensive line and Najee Harris and <laughs> and having all the guys that uh, that Alabama had up front to protect yeah. him and all those sorts of things, you're crazy. So I just I look at it and I go. I have no problem with a three-star guy. In fact, three-star guys win the Heisman Trophy and three-star guys make All-American teams all the time. On a ratio basis, though, they don't do those things as often as the four-star and the five-star, specifically the five-star guys. Well, so surround them with three five-stars. I got no problem with it. Surround them with three three-stars and we start talking about, uh, you know, all that stuff you were talking about catching George. I start to agree with you a little bit more. Put put the uh, Steph Curry example in orange and blue. The 08 Florida offense with Percy Harvin, the 09 Florida offense without Percy Harvin. Well, I, <laughs> even, a little do, bit, I even looked a little bit different, didn't it? So I even do it a little bit different, which is the the team with Brandon James returning kicks. Like Brandon James was a three star guy. He was a track guy, obviously, but nobody really sort of like because he didn't fit in terms of like a standard wide receiver mold or a standard running back mold. Urban Meyer and his staff had to figure out how do we use this guy? And they used him on kick returns and punt returns in a way that brought immense value to Florida. Even if the guy didn't end up in the NFL and, you know, he made some all sec teams as an all purpose guy or as a returner, but even if he never was the guy who you just threw a screen to and said, take it to the house. And so that's the thing, right? Is Brandon James was a huge part of those teams that won the national title, but 
he wasn't the reason they won the national title. The reason they won the national title was Tebow and Harvin and Spikes, and then supplemented with James and 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 the Pouncy guys, the Pouncy brothers, and and Joe Hayden and Janoris Jenkins. Like those are all really good players. But if you look at the core of that team in 2008 that won the national title, like Tim Tebow and Percy Harvin were a huge part of that, and. So yeah, it's just a matter of you got to stack these things together. And look, your guys who are ranked 200, some of them are going to have to pan out. Evaluation is like evaluation isn't nothing. Like you have to be able to evaluate your guys. But at some point, like we've all seen anybody who's coached little league, like I'm I'm in the middle of little league right now. You walk out there and you see a kid warming up outside or warming up by the fence and you go, "Oh crap, we're facing that kid today." <laughs> like you just see the ball firing out of his hand or you see him hitting heavy balls and the ball's flying off his bat and you go, all right, that's the kid we're going to avoid. Or like we had a kid this year who was six foot two and he's 12. And we're like, yeah, I think maybe we'll intentionally walk that guy when he comes up. And you <laughs> sort of know that, right? You see the guy, you see he's more physically gifted than everyone else. And you go, Oh, and it's the same thing in football. Like, you know, <laughs> I, Urban, Percy Harvin could have gone anywhere and been a star. I'm glad he came to Florida, but it was not Dan Mullen's brilliance that made Percy Harvin a star. It was that Percy Harvin was really freaking good. And so I think there were things that Mullen probably did around the edges to maybe make him better. I think there were things within the offense that he did and certainly using Percy Harvin to make guys like uh, Lewis Murphy and Riley Cooper and those sorts of guys better. Absolutely. The coach can do something there, but you could have put Percy Harvin to the NFL the day he stepped on campus. He probably would have been an awesome player in the NFL. So I think, uh, you know, those are some guys that Florida's going to have to get and, you know, surround guys like Williams with those sorts of guys. Very on brand for the next topic here. Uh, we're going to stretch this into six bits and a dollar tonight. Uh, Cause there's plenty to talk about with this topic, but Bud Elliott, uh, one one of our favorite college football voices out there for twenty four seven, he puts out a blue chip ratio every single year, and this year the blue chip ratio essentially will is when basically what percentage of the team are made up of blue chip recruits, which are four or five star recruits, versus which percentage of the team are not. So Alabama leads the way. The significance of this statistic too is that he's proven over time here that you need to be among this group to have a shot to win the national title. Not that you're necessarily any type of national title favorite if you're in the group, but it's a, it's a threshold uh, for a national championship most years. So there, there's been some except TCU certainly was not in this group last year. So there have been some exceptions that make runs and get close, but for the most part year to year, it's been a good indicator of which teams are actually serious, uh, has serious potential for a national championship run. So this year there are 16 teams in that group. Alabama leads the way that the first ever school to crack 90%. Ohio State and Georgia, I, I don't think anyone is too surprised with that. They're the only other two schools above 75%. The Buckeyes are at 85% and the Bulldogs are at 77%. Then you have a group that's kind of lumped together as well here. It's uh, A&M at 73, Clemson at 72, LSU at 71, and then Texas and Oklahoma at 70 so they're a little bit lumped together there. In the 60s here, you got Oregon at 67% blue chip ratio, uh, Notre Dame at 65, the Gators at 64, Miami at 61, and Penn State, Michigan, USC, and even Auburn. A little surprised to see Auburn in there. Well, uh, uh, sneaks in there to be the 16th team. Some of the interesting things I, I saw here, well, 16 schools meet the criteria, but – why does why does this show focus so much on recruiting? Eight of which are from the SEC. If you cheat a little and you count Texas and Oklahoma a year early, so if you go by that conference breakdown, well, Bama, UGA, A and M, LSU, Texas, Oklahoma, and there sits Florida at number seven in the conference. So as much as things are improving on the recruiting trail, that's why there's that pressure to deliver at the top tier level. Florida is currently sitting at seventh in the SEC, despite being one of 16 teams across the country that actually qualify for this blue chip ratio. Yeah, so I love Bud, and this is this is sort of maybe my entry into looking at looking at recruiting. I think there are some flaws with the blue chip ratio, um, but I think that's a great 
starting point, right? Where you look right. at it and say, these are the 16 and you go, one of these is going to make it to the national title. So you're going to win the national title. So I think one of the things you should do if you're a gambler is take a look and see who has the longest odds and then put a few bucks on them because chances are one of them is going to make it to the playoffs. And if you get good odds, it might be an opportunity to do that. Then I think you need to start picking off the teams that either don't have an established quarterback or are going through a coaching change. We saw last year that the coaching change, we we even saw it with, with Alabama when they went through it with Saban and Georgia when they went through it with Smart. Those are guys who eventually went on to win multiple national championships, but their first years at their schools were not great. So a team like Auburn, I think you go, eh, okay, probably not. Then you got to sort of go through and look and say, all right, who who has a quarterback who I think can lead them to a place like that? So there may be LSU. You give them, hey, Jaden Daniels, that's sort of a, a propping up. Texas, they got, they got a weird thing going on there with Ewers and Manning. We'll see. Chances are, though, one of those guys turns out okay. Um, you look at Oklahoma, though, who they really have a quarterback. Is is the kid from UCF going to be back this year? Or is he? Yeah, dead? but Jackson Arnold's getting a lot of buzz, the recruit, the five-star recruit they had come in. So they're not sure. Gabriel, I thought that kid was great at UCF. He, he was a little beat up last year at times. They did not have a great season out there. But I, there, some people think Arnold's going to get a shot sooner or later. But Gabriel should uh, – get the start out there. Uh, so so here, here's the reality though. If you look at Michigan at 54% and the last time they played Georgia and then Michigan lost to TCU last year. And then we saw what happened when TCU played Georgia. There's a big difference between 90% of your guys being blue chips and 55% of your guys being blue chips. And we can cut it off at 16 because every team that's made the playoff or every team that's won the national championship has been over 50, but I'll tell you right now, the top five teams since 2014, in, in the recruiting rankings overall, when you average them out, those are all of your national champions. So Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, LSU, since the playoff era started, those are the teams that have won the national championships and they're in the top five. So really, that's actually my curiosity here as I look at a team like A&M. And they're at 73% blue chip, but that's on the back of one specific class that really drives that up from being in like the maybe 60 to 65 range. Mm -hmm. And I go, all right, well, let's see. Does one class allow you to do it? That's a curiosity that I have. The other thing is this goes back to 2020, right? Because it's the last four classes. Well, you look at a team like Florida where Dexter – was their number one player. Well, he's gone to the NFL. You got Derek Wingo hasn't really turned out yet. Xavier Henderson, who's already transferred. Jahari Rogers, who transferred. Then you got Jaquavian Frazier's. Then Isaiah Walker, who already transferred out. Then Ethan Pouncey. Then Antoine Powell-Ryland, who's already transferred out. Anthony Richardson is in the NFL. Then Human Milan, Then Braun, who transferred out. So if you go back, if you look at the top tier of that 2020 class, yeah, the blue chip ratio is really good, but a bunch of those guys aren't even at the school anymore. And so you got to factor that in as well. Now, Alabama's going to have the same problem with the 2020 class because like 90 of those guys are in the NFL. So we do need to start looking at that. But again, if you look at the 2021 class, you got Marshall, Jason Marshall, Scooby Williams, Tyreek Sapp, Corey Collier, Carlos DeRio Wilson. He's gone. Marcus Burke, Donovan McMillan, um, Yusuf McGarville, um, the one black, Dejon Reynolds. So again, that top gators, tier of the 2021 class, there's a lot of former Gators. And that's the thing I think that gets missed when you look at the when you look at the past four classes. Now, here's what I will say. Is anybody complaining that there's no talent in Gainesville? That's not true. Like, and this has been something that I I think because we look at ourselves through the prism of Georgia and Alabama, we have this thought like we don't have any talent at all, which isn't true at all. Florida is the seventh ranked team in the SEC or fifth ranked team in the SEC based on blue chip ratio. If you take out Texas and Oklahoma and look, that's not good enough. Cause you're going to face, you might face four of those guys in a season, right? So you may end up being less talented than four teams that you play in a season at the same time. That's no excuse to go six and seven. That's no excuse to lose to a team like Oregon state. And so I think that's the thing that we should take from this is not necessarily that, that Florida is going to win the national title or be in competition for the national title, but that a six and seven season should be like unacceptable from the standpoint of you got a team that's ranked in the top 16 overall from a talent perspective. Now it's your job as a coach to put it together. And so, you know, look, I know Florida's got a tough schedule, but Tennessee is not on this list. And they're breaking in a quarterback who I have a lot of doubts about. Kentucky's not on this list, and they're losing Will ne Will Levis. Certainly, they're bringing in Devin Leary, but he's not a guy that I necessarily am immensely high on, given what happened last year. Auburn's on this list, but Auburn isn't 
you know, they're going through a coaching transition. There's no Ole Miss. There's no Mississippi State. There's no Arkansas. So there's no South Carolina. So you start looking at it and you go, look, Florida should win eight games. <laughs> That's sort of where I end up with when I look at this. I go, you figure Utah's not on this list. So, you know, there might be some times where Florida has some bad matchups and, you know, the transition sort of catches them. But for for people, to, I mean, I think Vegas had Florida at five and a half. That's just really unacceptable given the amount of talent that Florida has, even if it's young talent. And one school that's on Florida's schedule that's been mentioned as a dark horse playoff team frequently is the Florida State Sentinels. Not on this list either, Will. Well, and that is, so that's a really interesting point. Because there are a lot of people who are talking about Norvell's slow build. And there there have been some people actually on the Florida side sort of comparing it, saying we need to give Napier patience. And I believe we need to give Napier patience, but I think we need to give Napier patience in lieu of what he's doing in this 2024 class. And if he delivers for that 2024 class, then he deserves all the patience that he's going to get. The minute Jordan Travis leaves, the house of cards in Tallahassee is going to fall apart. Because the reality is when Jordan Travis was playing poorly, that team was terrible. And they had a pretty good defense last year. The defense has been getting better. But you go look at teams that recruit in that range overall. They've been in like the 20 to 25 range overall. The ACC helps them a little bit. but you have And the fact that Clemson's been down the last couple of years with DJ Uyagalele is has helped them a little bit too. But the reality is, is that they are going to suffer because of that at some point along the way. So you look at Tennessee last year, has an awesome year. Hendon Hooker plays really well and just lays a complete egg against South Carolina because they're not talented enough to just roll the ball out and win the game. Heck, even Georgia last year almost dropped one to Missouri when Stetson Bennett forgot how to play quarterback for one half. And you're sitting there going, okay, we all, you know, Missouri almost got them. That happens every year and less and teams that are in that talent level of 20 to 30 tend not to recover from those sorts of things. So I, I like, I, I am high on Florida state this year just because their defense was pretty good last year. And I think Jordan Travis is a good player. I am not high on Florida State long-term because of this very thing, because their blue chip ratio or their overall ranking or their average player rating and all that sort of stuff. Like we talk about Kirby Smart coming down and bringing guys from the state of Florida away from Florida, but but none of those guys are going to Florida State. They're all all going to Georgia or Clemson or Alabama, which is a problem for Florida because two of those teams are in the conference. But it's a problem for Florida State, too, because Clemson is in their conference as well. And and look, I mean, if you look at the ACC, I mean, Notre Dame is essentially a part of the ACC. And so Florida State's got at least two teams in front of them. But they're not and, they're uh, not playing Florida State and they don't compete in the standings yeah. this year. So I it's mean, irrelevant to FSU. It's you not got irrelevant Miami Clemson. You playing. got Miami Clemson on the schedule. Obviously, but it's it's the top two teams that got rid of divisions as well in the ACC. Well, and, so. and this is this is actually much easier schedule. So, so Bill Sykes has been been pounding this drum for years, and I looked into it even closer, and looked at essentially um, SEC records as a function of recruiting ranking in the conference, and then ACC records as a function of recruiting ranking in the conference. And what you find is the top two teams do very very well, as you would expect. Then there's a drop off kind of linearly down to like the fifth team and then it's just sort of flat so there's a lot of motion between you know teams that are ranked fifth and teams that are ranked ninth and they sort of sometimes they come up and sometimes they go down and you just sort of got this jockeying for position within that fifth through ninth and the problem that florida's run into is that they have been in that area where they've been jockeying for position for about a decade now kentucky missouri so, so if you think about it, Florida, Florida had like an 89 average recruiting ranking in Napier's first class. They had a 92 average recruiting ranking in his transition or in his bump class last year. And then they've got a 94 average player rating right now. And so that build from 89 to 92 to 94 is the thing that makes me say, yeah, we need to give Napier patience. If it was 89, 90, 90, that's Dan Mullen. And that's Mike Norvell. And so in the SEC, especially, that's not going to be good enough. Florida State might get lucky. Florida State's going to, you know, you get you get a year where Clemson is down, where Clemson doesn't have the quarterback play that they need. You get it. You get a year where Miami and geez, Crystal Ball does not look like a great coach from a game day perspective and getting his troops all all uh, all energized to play right. And so if he can't turn that around, well, now you got two teams that have high levels of talent but aren't really doing anything with it, and you're able to sneak in and sort of win more games than you should. But part of the reason for that is you're the third ranked recruiting team overall in the conference, which means if one and two happen to have a down year you have an opportunity to pop up to the top 
The problem with Florida right now is if Alabama and Georgia had a down year, you would still have AM, LSU, and potentially Auburn who who could all jump in who could all jump in front of you. And let's be honest, Alabama and Georgia probably not having massive down years, right? I mean, they might have a down year where they lose like a game or two. And the message boards in Alabama are trying to get Saban fired because he went, you know, eleven and one and didn't make it to the championship. But the reality he be is out the, recruiting instead of going to Italy. Well, the reality is they're their bad seasons are things we would probably take. <laughs> and so what that means is AM has to have a down year. LSU has to have a down year or Florida just has to have an up year. And, and sort of that jockeying for position is taking place. And that's where we're at. Like th- there's a reason why Florida is getting picked with an over under a five and a half. It's if they were in the ACC, there's no way that'd be their over under. The problem is they play Georgia. They play LSU. And so people are already looking at it going, all right, teams that are more talented than you and don't have Graham Mertz at quarterback are going to play you. And so, you know, yeah, we we're penciling those in as losses, but this more than anything points to me that South Carolina, Utah, Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri, Vanderbilt, those are all games that should be wins. And until Florida can convert those games into wins, it's going to be the same story over and over and over again because these teams that are that are significantly more talented than them are going to be difficult. It's going to be an uphill climb. So I, I do agree with you from a talent standpoint, eh, where a lot of our conversation too, even I, even we sound like that sometimes where we talk about the program in a certain way, where it's like we're talking about it, what it needs to be when it's at a championship standard, not we don't hang banners about for going eight and four and winning the Outback Bowl at this program. So we are, we do have tough standards. We do have to, we're reaching for something special. That's why it's such a special program to follow. Uh, but I, I do believe that Bud makes it clear. He said, this is just one aspect to look at when you talk about a national championship. He's like, this doesn't factor in program development, the, the player development. It doesn't factor in, factor in culture. It doesn't factor in fit. It doesn't factor in any of that stuff. There's a lot of those things that weigh into it, obviously. That's why you look at a Texas A&M and they just have a lot of talent, but they lose a couple of games early and they just bolt last year. I heard him say that. Uh, I heard Bud say that on one podcast uh, talking about that this is not something I would use to bet as a game-to-game model, the blue chip ratio. But it is something that one of these 16 teams will probably be the eventual national champion. He's like, I'm not going to put money on Florida or Miami or anything like that. Now, of course, he's an FSU guy too. But uh, he did say he's not putting money on Florida or Miami. But it is a minimum standard to reach. So for those of you who are interested – and learning more about the blue chip ratio, you can go over and find Bud's work on 24-7 Sports. Also, they do the uh, Cover 3 podcast, which is absolutely fantastic. It's one of my favorite college football podcasts. Those guys do a great job. Will, where can people get the magazine? We got until Friday. We got till next uh, – we got till this Friday here before we get that second run in. Yeah, so pre-order right now. You can go over to readingreaction.com slash mag. That's readingreaction.com slash M-A-G. Um, we're selling pretty good. we got a pretty good clip going on. So you go ahead and get that order. And now you get it in before, like you said, June 16th. And then we'll get those ordered. We'll get those shipped out to you before the 4th of July. We'll probably order a few extras, but not as many as we did last time. So mm-hmm. um, make sure you get your orders in now. Um, get a hard copy. It's going to be relevant until September when things kick off. Probably it'll even be relevant after September when things kick off because we, we got some cool features in that sort of look at um, look at the overall offense and the offensive philosophy. There are going to be plays, I guarantee you. There will be plays that are diagrammed in the magazine that you're going to see during the season. You'll be able to pop it open and go, oh, yeah, that's what that's what he said. So um, so we think it's a cool thing. We've, we've had a lot of people reach out to us and say they wish they had those for their teams, right? That, uh, that they, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have these for every organization. It's 72 pages of Florida Gator only. Um, there was an article by Zach Albalverde today that was looking at what Athlon and Lindy's and those sorts of magazines are saying about Florida. And those are great magazines and they're things you should pick up and you should read those. Absolutely. But they got a page, maybe two on Florida. Athlon has is- one. I read Man. Athlon last weekend. Yeah, they have. So, one. you know, look, there's some cool stuff in there. There's some stuff you can glean, mm-hmm. but you're not going to see anything about strategy. You're not going to see anything about film breakdown. You're not going to see anything about recruiting. Like we mentioned the maps, um, you know, full roster information, stuff like that. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. So 
If you want the digital version, you can buy that right now over at readandreaction.com slash mag. Uh, it'll just come to you as a PDF um, through your email. You can read that if you want to read it on an iPad or an iPhone or something like that. And then if you want a hard copy in your hands, you can go over there as well. Um, Pre-order that. Like I said, we're ordering more June 16th and expect to have those mailed out to everybody before the 4th of July. Yeah, I want to be clear too. No guarantees we're doing another round after this. So if you 100% know you want a hard copy magazine, now is the time to get your order in. Get it in this week because if you don't get in this week, we'll probably just say, here's the here, go buy a digital copy. <laughs> That's probably what it's going to be after this week. If we get enough interest to do another a third run, we'll, we'll certainly consider it. But at this point, I would say you and I would say, if you definitely want that hard copy magazine, now's the time to order. I'm not doing a third run, man. Like, <laughs> You, you can't take packing anymore. <laughs> I, 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 my, my children gave up after packing like four or five of them. Um, so we got all the post office stuff figured out, which was the hard part. But uh, yeah, definitely. If you want it, order it now. If you know you want it in your hands, order it now. Um, my guess is we'll have a couple of extras, but you know we're going to have a lot of people asking. In fact, after the first run, I probably had 15 people say, oh, I, I missed it. I still want to get a hard copy. Yep. And that's why we're doing the second run. So we're not going to do a third. Um, so get in your order now. Yeah, Maybe we don't, we don't have now. a secret extra pile. I got one. I thought I was going to get a few. I got one because we had the sales. I was like, sell them. Go ahead, sell them. I, I have one at my house. So we don't have, we're not hoarding secret extra piles. We're not holding back a box. Now's the time to get the order in. But uh, we'll stop killing you with the uh, with the commercial here. But readingreaction.com slash mag. Any final words before we head out tonight? Well, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's already ordered it, right? I mean, there have been absolutely. a lot of people who've commented on here yes. after after watching Stand Up and Holler, they've ordered the magazine. So we appreciate everyone who's supported us. Um, certainly, you know, we don't get a second print run if people don't sell us out, of, if we don't sell out the first. And so uh, we're thankful that everybody was able to do that. But but it is a lot of work. We're a small business over here. We're not, we're not uh, you know, we're doing this at night and we're doing this in our spare time while you and I both have real jobs uh, that, that pay the bills and keep the lights on. So this is this is sort of our dream. It's really cool to see it. And it's really cool to have people put pictures on Twitter of the magazine that's ours that we sent out there. That's a hard copy. And we appreciate everyone for doing that. But uh, but it really does help us if you put in those pre-orders because it, it helps us sort of figure out the logistics and get them out to you. The more we sell, the more we can justify this craziness to our wives. So yeah. that's also that's a that's a good note too. On that so that that definitely helps. So, but like Will said, thank you to everybody who's already ordered a copy, and we've gotten some great feedback too. Even hey, some I got feedback on the font. I've gotten feedback on the text uh, going into the gutter a little bit too much. I, I, we've gotten some good notes on the magazine to clean up for next year. And so if you see anything on the magazine that you, you have a suggestion, uh, we got a great suggestion, a, a poster insert, right? From, uh, from our friend Josh there. So we, we've gotten a lot, we've gotten a lot of good feedback. If you have anything, feel free to message Will, Will and I were asking that you either DM us on Twitter or send it to Will's email at will at readingreaction.com. Yep, absolutely. We, we're not shy about hearing it. One of the reasons we have the hard copy this year is people asked for it last year. And we looked at it and said, yeah, that's a really good idea. And then we had to go figure out all the logistics to do it. And it's been a lot of work, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's been rewarding. So, uh, you know, if you guys appreciate that, if, if, if you're enjoying it, then, uh, you know, buy one for your buddy. And, and send it to them, support us, tell them you're supporting a small business, trying to get them out there. And, uh, and uh, you know, the more they get out there, go take them to your dentist's office, just throw it there on the chair. So people look at it and go, what the heck is this? Um, so once you're done with it, please go distribute it in, in places where, you know, you wouldn't just tell your buddy to buy it. But if you're just going someplace like a doctor's office or a dentist's office, drop it off over there so other people could see it. Cause that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, last note, we did, we did several appearances on another show the last week. We just want to say thank you and give a shout out. Gator Dave, Gators Breakdown, we went on a couple of weeks ago. But High Top Sports, first time I, I believe either one of us has gone on with those guys. Uh, Shelton, Dave, Holly, those guys were great. Uh, check out High Top Sports over on YouTube. They do a live show every Wednesday. They also they have their podcasts everywhere. I, I did that SEC podcast with Michael Bratton. Appreciate you, SEC Mike, on Twitter if you all want to follow him. And Will went on Ryan the Hacker Green on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Uh, Will, how's your how's your time with uh, Mr. Green over there in Jacksonville? Got to be honest, man. That guy's a pro. He sets you up like a champ when when you're uh, when you're talking with him. So, um, no, nah, it's cool. It, it's good to see stuff getting traction. It's good to 
good to have an opportunity to go out and expose people to the magazine who maybe haven't who haven't who don't follow us on a normal basis and, and get that information out to them. So very, very thankful for not just everybody who's purchased it, but everybody who's helping us get the word out there because we think we've got a really good product. And so, you know, the reality is it's a marketing thing at this point, and you and I are not marketing people. <laughs> so we're doing the best we can, but we're leveraging our network here of all the people who listen and read and all that sort of stuff too. And and we appreciate y'all helping us out. Yeah, thanks, thanks to all, all those guys for uh, uh, letting us come on those shows here in the last week. Uh, if anybody's wondering why I am sitting uh, in front of the void, I'm calling it, I guess I'll call it the void right now. Get ready I fired to move. Get, yeah, get, get ready to move. Pack pack my stuff. It's my stuff's in a box. Getting fired here. No, getting ready to move. So uh, maybe this will look like this for the next couple of weeks. So uh, I'll get another setup going at some point here when we get settled in a new place. So uh, everyone have a wonderful week. In the meantime, Hopefully, uh, we'll get a few more commits here in the meantime, and uh, go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.